0: listening to the fret files the guitar workshop podcast with eric daw
1: to participate in the show visit my website ericdaw.com that's e r i c d a w.com click the contact link and send in your question or comment there i'll use it as part of the show the other way to do it is to call 757-774 8482. You can call or text that number 757-774-8482. Yes, indeed! This is the Fret Files podcast broadcasting loud and clear from our brand new website, fretfiles.com. From pole to pole, from sea to shining sea, from Madagascar to the Great Barrier Reef, from the Cayman Islands to the
2: other side to of the your world. house,
1: right directly to your ears. I don't know, I'm feeling silly. I got We got a new website and I'm happy about it. I'm all giddy. Like, we could just do anything we want now. We don't even have to talk about guitars. We could talk about whatever we want. (laughs) We could even... We could say bad words.
2: Like... Like cuss words?
1: Yeah. Do you want to say one? Maybe the... Just say the the worst swear you can think of.
2: (laughs) All sugar snaps.
1: Jeez, you don't have to get all... (laughs) coarse. God have to edit that out. Uh, no, seriously, we have a new website now, fretfiles.com. If you're listening to this, you probably know about it because you probably had to go and resubscribe. I tell you moving a podcast really is a, a trick.
2: It's not as hard as moving your belongings to a different house though, right?
1: That was a trick to moving our it's moving everything diff- we own from one state to another.
2: That's a diff- different kind of trick.
1: Moving a podcast is almost as difficult. Wow. Yeah, but there's a lot more um, uh, complicated—I tell you, it was complicated. But but it's good now.
2: There's less back injuries.
1: No, I did hurt my back. Oh. From sitting in the computer chair working on the podcast website. It's all good. Uh, Anyway, we have a new website, fretfiles.com, and uh, we're going to be going weekly. Every Thursday we're going to have a new show— Uh, Oh, my name's, you know, I I haven't even started the show yet. Let's officially start the show. Are you ready? Yeah. Yes, indeed! Welcome to the Fret Files Podcast. My name is Eric Daw, your guitar scientist. With over 20 years of experience building and repairing guitars, this is a podcast about guitar repair, guitar building, guitar news, guitar science, and guitar opinions. With me, as always, is my lovely wife and co-host, Melissa Jean Daw.
2: You didn't have to tell everybody my middle name. Melissa. So every week we take your questions and I read them and Eric attempts to answer them.
1: Yeah. Uh, We've got a lot of good questions. Questions about pickups and Les Pauls and uh, more about uh, Rosewood restrictions. Uh, Questions about Telecasters, Telecaster wiring. Oh, man. K&K pickups, acoustic pickups. A lot of good questions. Uh, how did, what did you, did you listen to the, uh, Chelsea Clark interview? I did. What did you think? I thought
2: it was awesome. I thought her ending up in the guitar biz, her, her chance meeting with Dan Erlewine was really...
1: Her story was pretty cool.
2: Fascinating. It It was. was, It's one of those like kismet things. Is that the right word? I don't know what
1: that means. Is that a spice?
2: I think it's an Indian word for fate. I don't know.
1: But uh, you weren't there, you, so you listened to it later. Right. But you liked it?
2: I liked it. I thought it was great.
1: I did, too. She was. She's really cool. That was a great interview. If you didn't hear that, that was the last episode, episode 39. This is episode 40.
2: And I suppose this would be the first of our weekly episodes.
1: Uh, technically, I think last week was.
2: Yeah, but, I mean, last Whatever. week was a month from the last one, so this is the the first one week from the last
1: However you want to start counting, it's anyway, all good. we're, we're weekly to now. weekly now. Hooray! Um, that's right. And uh, we've got... Uh, oh, man, have you checked out my new website, pinupcustomguitars.com? I have not. Yeah, check that out. I've got uh, options. There's a lot of options, let me just tell you. Cases, all different colors... Different uh, neck, Col- neck profiles. Colors of cases? Fret sizes. No, colors of guitars. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, we've got a call. Shall we take a phone call? Let's take it. Yeah, we haven't talked anything about guitars. It's almost five minutes in, and we're just hemming and hawing about Yapping. baloney. Let's take a call.
3: Hey, Eric and Melissa. I was just listening to the latest Fret Files podcast, and uh, you were talking about standing beam with double-sided or sticky uh, sandpaper. Alternately, when I'm out of that, I will do a little trick where I take um, just a roll of sandpaper, and I lay it sandpaper side down, and then I stick two-inch-wide masking tape, like blue painters tape, and I stick that to the back of the sandpaper, and then I put a little dribble all the way around there of the water-thin CA glue, uh, and then I take another piece of two-inch masking tape, and I put that sticky side up so the two backs of the masking tapes are together. And I just let that together, and the CA glue will uh, stick to the masking tape. And then you have a super thin homemade double-sided tape. And then I just cut that to fit and put it on my beam. Works really good, and um, I like that better than some other two-sided tapes. It seems that it has better control, and it doesn't uh, get too thick or bumpy, or I can I can control it. So, just a little tip for you guys. I don't know if you guys are interested in that or not, but it's something I use all the time.
1: I love it. What a helpful tip. That's cool.
2: I feel like I would never think to make my own double-sided tape. Like that's a that's a real yeah innovative thing. It
1: is. It is. And uh, I use, you know, a lot of times I've see I've already got a big roll of double sided tape, and I always have some because, um, a lot of acoustic guitars. That's how you that's how you put the pit guard on. Oh, yeah, you put really. Re- yeah, it's really heavy duty double sided tape. It's pretty thin. It's kind of it's see through, but it's kind of milky. Oh. Not not milky, but it's
2: a little opaque, but yeah. still transparent.
1: And uh, you put that on the back of your pit guard, and you put it on there. And that allows the pit guard, because a lot of these these acoustic guitar pit guards Uh shrink over time. Right. And in the old days, they used to put them on with a glue that, as the pit guard would shrink, it would pull the wood, and you end up with a crack.
0: Oh. Yeah.
1: Like, Martins are famous for getting a little crack right underneath the B string, because the pit guard pulls the wood... And you get a crack right there. So anyway, it's a it's a pretty common thing to take those off and then uh, when you when you put them back on, use the double sided tape. And it's really strong stuff, but it's con- it's so strong that if you use it on your sanding beam,
2: you can't get the sandpaper It's off. kind
1: of a pain to get it off. I mean, oh. you can get it off, you know, sure, but But masking tape would be easy to peel off. Right. That's why I like this tip. That's smart. Uh, yeah, it is. It's cool. And it's all stuff that I already have in my shop.
2: What kind of glue did he say to use?
1: CA glue, which is oh, super glue, which is super glue. Super glue. Okay. Yeah.
2: People should stop saying fancy things. like you just say super glue. I know, but... It's, is it a different thing?
1: Well, no. It's just that I think it's this unspoken thing in the luthier community that we don't want to call it super glue because we don't want... Just your average walking around guy to think that we're working on your guitar with superglue. No, this is not superglue. This is CA glue. It's cyanoacrylate.
2: But it's super glue.
1: Oh, it's space age, baby.
2: Well, thank you, anonymous caller from the void.
1: Yeah. And uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate the call. If you want to call and participate in the show, we play voicemails first. It's 757-774-8482. You can call. Leave your message there. And we'll use it as part of the show. Or even if it's a comment or a tip like this. You know, I love we that love kind of it. thing. Yeah, absolutely. We love it. The other way to participate is go to my website, ericdaw.com. And uh, you can also go to fretfiles.com and click the contact link, submit a question for the show. And uh, we'll use your email there. Sweet. And shall we? Uh, shall we read some emails? Let's do it. Let's do it. That's what the show's all about.
0: We get
2: we get stacks and stacks Hi, Eric and Melissa, just some follow up advice on Ben's problem with his Les Paul, which I if I remember right, it was just that he he liked the way it played, but he was just chasing tone,
1: chasing tone.
2: Okay, uh, he could try some other styles of pickups. My pickup builder, Mike at MJS Pickups, makes a great humbucker that uses individual poles instead of a bar magnet. It is called the MJS Hum 3 Individual A2 Mag, which is a mouthful. Yeah. Uh, A great humbucker for those who don't like humbuckers. Or another solution would be a P90 style in a humbucker format. And also maybe replacing one of the tone controls by a bass cut control. Thanks for the great show and information. I always learn a ton of stuff. Florian Schneider. Is that right, Schneider? I'm sure. Millimetric instruments.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's great. You know, I mean, that's certainly a good uh, comment. You, You could always replace the pickups. Absolutely. Or another solution he says uh would be replacing one of the tone controls by a bass cut control that's you know that's a great solution yeah what is that well <coughs> your typical tone control <laughs> I'm so sorry pardon me your typical tone control on a guitar only cuts treble oh yeah but you can wire one up so that it so that it cuts bass
2: only bass or bass and treble together
1: <coughs> only bass oh yeah. Interesting. It's something that G&L does on their, uh, I don't know what they call them, but they're the ones that look like strats. They're not ex- they're not called stratocasters, but it's the G&L strat thing. Style. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, because a strat typically has two tone controls, which is kind of redundant, in my opinion. I don't know, whatever. Some people like it. But with what G&L did, they kind of updated it. One is a, t- a treble cut and one is a bass cut.
2: Interesting. Yeah.
1: So you can kind of dial in your tone a little a little better how you want. I checked out. So F- Florian Schneider's got this millimetric instruments. Yep. I checked it out. Really cool guitars, unique designs. You know, inspired by uh, you know the classics, but really carving his own path. Minimalist and modern design. You know, taste cool. really tastefully done. Very cool guitars.
2: What, what's the website?
1: Millimetric. C A. Cool. Yeah, he's in Canada, obviously.
2: Awesome. Yeah.
1: Millimetric instruments. Well thanks, nice, Florian. Nice stuff, Florian. I love it.
2: Would you make a custom instrument without aging it? Or is aging considered an essential element of of your instruments? Stephen.
1: Well, Stephen. Uh yeah, you know, I'm kind of known for doing that. I I make aged, you know, replica guitars. Um, But I've certainly made plenty of them not aged, and I absolutely do make them not aged. Here's the catch, though. I really don't do, and I don't dig, the modern finishes that look like the guitar has been dipped in glass. Right. Really glossy, shiny, thick finishes. Right. I hate it. I really don't like it. And I don't... It's just... I I can't even explain why. I just don't like it. So I kind of do thin... Nitro finishes that, um, it it won't be aged, it will look like a new guitar, but it'll look more like what a new guitar would have looked like in the 50s, before they started doing these super space-age polyester crazy finishes.
2: (laughs) Sure, that makes sense. Yeah,
1: so, yes, I do make them that are not aged, but don't expect it to look like a, uh, I don't know. Like a car finish, you know what I mean?
2: Right. Like that
1: flawless, glossy, it's going to be kind of sunk into the grain a little bit and a very thin finish. So that's the answer. Yes, I do, but they don't look like you would think.
2: Awesome. Thanks, Stephen. Hey, guys. You guys mentioned sites restriction on Rosewood in a recent episode. The Fretboard Journal podcast 127-ish has a lengthy discussion about the restrictions with a guitar-savvy lawyer. Might, oh yeah,
1: that was John Thomas.
2: Oh, cool. Yeah, uh, might provide some important and deeper insight on the issue. Keep up some great work. You guys are awesome, Andrew in Northern California.
1: Yeah, I remember listening to that uh, when they did that. You know, <laughs> the Fredboard Journal has such a great podcast. It's weekly and it's all about guitars. They interview players, something we don't do. But it kind of it kind of comes half and half. Like they they interview luthiers and repair guys. And then the other half is they interview musicians, which we right. don't we don't really get into that. But when they get into the tech stuff, man, oh, I love it. Oh, I love it when they interview like a a really deep uh, guitar repair guy that's been doing it for like 70 years, you know, not that long. But you know what I mean. Yeah. I love those kind of interviews. That's great. Yeah, it's a great podcast. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, they did an episode with John Thomas about the new Sides Rosewood restrictions. So... If anybody wants to go follow up on that, this feller thinks it's probably podcast Fredboard Journal Podcast one twenty seven, so check that out.
2: Is it sides or sights?
1: I've heard it both ways. I say sides because that's what that's what I've heard mostly.
2: Okay. Well it's sorry, like, it's I like piezo.
1: It well. Is it piezo or piezo or piazzo or piezo Tomato piezo, Tomato? Tomato tomato.
2: Let's call the whole thing off. Next. Eric and Melissa. Love the podcast and the interaction between you two. Here are two Axe-centric questions. Number one. Eric, we know you love 50s and 60s Telecasters, but what is Melissa's favorite guitar and guitarist?
1: She doesn't like guitars.
2: You know, I thought
1: that, that this would be obvious, <laughs> though,
2: you know? Uh, my favorite guitars are pin-up custom guitars. Oh, there you go. And my favorite guitarist is... My husband, Eric Dahl.
1: Yeah, that's such a cop-out, though. My... Okay, aside from me and my guitars, Really?
2: I have a close runner-up on favorite guitarists. My brother, Mike Watson, is also an okay. excellent guitarist. Anybody
1: that our listeners would have heard of?
2: Um, I don't know any guitarists. You do? Uh...
1: I make her listen to all kinds of stuff, you know, from... I, out.
2: I like music. I just, yeah. I don't know. The guitars just blend into the, the rest of the music for me. It just...
1: Melissa it'd has be m- like
2: asking me my favorite drummer. I, it just doesn't... Melissa I don't know. Melissa
1: has a very scientific mind, and she really, she actually really is interested in all of the, like, tech details of guitar stuff. She's always asking me about stuff, like, how does this work, or how do you do that, or what's this about... Doesn't really care about guitar players.
2: (laughs) It just doesn't even cross my mind.
1: I do make her listen to, you know, Albert King and, you know.
2: And, you know, I can tell the difference between a a guitar player who's just phoning it in and a really talented practice guitar player. Right. And I think that's awesome. But there is not a particular famous guitar player that I'm obsessed
1: with. Jack White?
2: No, I don't
1: know. He's phoning it in.
2: Right. Um, I'm just
1: kidding.
2: It's... I, when I listen to music, I, I like to sing along, so I usually t- just pay attention to the vocals, honestly. Like, I don't know. Guitars just are in the background to me. Sorry, everyone. I can't
1: believe what you said about Jack White, though. That was rude. <laughs>
2: um, <clears throat> And as for guitars, I like pretty guitars. If they're sparkly, I like them.
1: I just did a Lake Placid Blue finish that she...
2: I'm pretty obsessed with that one.
1: She flipped out about... It's kind of a, if you don't know what Lake Placid Blue finishes, you're listening to the wrong podcast, but it's, it's like a metallic blue, deep metallic yeah, blue. It's gorgeous. Yeah.
2: And I've seen the, the, um, Dan Electro reissues that are just a real.
1: Oh, the real sparkle. Sparkly it's like ones. A, it's like a, bass boat sparkle. It's like it, a, it looks like a carnival ride.
2: My eyes get all big. Like I'm an anime character. <laughs> anyway, that was his first question. Sorry. It took me so long to answer it. Uh, number two. Does the Daw family location have a direct correlation to local precipitation?
1: Oh my God. Okay.
2: Can you please say that five times fast? Uh, you lived in Seattle the first half of the year when there was a record amount of rainy days, which is pr- partly why we moved. Uh, now that you have moved, there has been a record of amount of sunny days. Is this an inconvenient truth or a coast to coast conspiracy? PS the Fremont Troll still loves you but plays a first act ver- first act Volkswagen guitar.
1: I was uh, under the impression that there these guitars would these questions would be guitar related. The first one was. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. This guy is is so in my head. I does. it's like he's like he's wiretapping my phone. Yeah, no. Uh yeah, it's a coast coast to coast conspiracy. Yeah. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. When we moved, the rain was so sad that it had to stop. It just had to just calm down for a while. Is that is that right? I don't know. Okay.
1: But I tell you what, the sun sure shines here in Idaho. Oh, man. Oh.
2: We've gotten like two rainy days in what we do is we sit on the porch and watch it because it's an exciting thing and it's not a normal thing.
1: No, and it smells different. It's desert rain, which is a completely different thing from that swamp rain you got up there in Seattle.
2: No offense to Seattle. Yeah,
1: yeah, no offense. Swamp.
2: Uh, Next. What is the worst guitar manufacturer in the world, in your opinion? Dang. (laughs) Thanks for the podcast, AJ. (laughs)
1: What is the worst guitar manufacturer in the world? Can
2: you go ahead Man, and just dig yourself a hole to climb into right that now? That is
1: so... That is such <laughs> a pointed question. You, re, AJ, you really want me to get in trouble here. You really want me to step on some toes. I don't know if it's because the last question mentioned this brand, but...
2: Oh, no. First
1: Act is is definitely up there. I mean, those are those are awful guitars. They cost about nineteen dollars. So you know you get what you pay for. But holy cow, those are bad. Here's the other. Oh. Here's here's the other brand that I'll mention. There's a certain there's a certain uh infomercial guitar that they sell with a guy in a big wide hat. Maybe you know what Is I'm it talking about.
2: The pan flute guy.
1: No. <laughs> like, that's Sam fear. Oh. <laughs> uh no. This guy No, this guy look it, just 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 listen to this, okay?
3: Introducing it's, the new American Legacy Guitar package, showcasing the beautiful lustrous black oh, edition. It's lustrous Estabon's American Legacy Guitar. Oh yeah. This new edition features an all wood body.
2: Oh.
1: oh it's all it's made of wood. Wow. Entirely made of wood.
2: That's impressive.
1: Yeah. There's a there's a a fireplace. And a twirling guitar in front of it. And then this, this clown with his big hat.
2: It's kind of like a fever dream.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. It's very much like a fever dream.
2: And chrome tuning heads. And now oh,
1: the tuning heads are chrome.
2: Wow.
3: It lustrous, glossy black.
1: Oh, it's lustrous and glossy, yeah. Anyway, that guy, the, those guitars, very simply, are the worst. God, they're the worst guitars you could possibly... I mean, they're so bad. And they make them sound, because I've seen the infomercial, because, you know, I'm in- get into guitars, and when they first came up, I mean, they've been on TV for 20 years. When they first came out, I thought, oh, I'll, I'll watch this for a second. Man, they talk these guitars up. Oh, yeah, this guitar is made exactly to this feller's specs. Feller it's made just exactly to his specifications well, it's and it's exactly of wood. what he is made entirely of wood impressive the tuners are have chrome on them i mean chrome can you imagine Wow. chrome plated hardware those guitars are probably the worst guitar you can buy cuz i get you know and people don't know you get you get tricked you if you're not a guitar player you're watching tv at 3 in the morning drinking beer you're going Pff, i could buy a guitar right now. And they buy a guitar and then they bring it (laughs) in to me and say I can't play this thing because the strings are about a mile away from the neck. Can can you help me? And you say, well yeah.
2: Sell this one.
1: Yeah. Anyway, thanks for getting me in trouble with whoever uh,
2: So, Esteban, Don't don't say his name! God! Hey Eric, I heard one of your S-style guitars recently, and it sounded beautiful. Are the S-style pickups you make intentionally microphonic, or is that only the T-style bridge pickups? Would it be morally wrong to put a T-style pickup in an S-style guitar?
1: I think so. I think that is in the. I think that's the seventh <laughs> commandment.
2: You will go straight to hell. Uh, thanks for you and Meli- th- thanks to you and Melissa for doing the podcast.
1: Um yeah, I do make my T-style bridge pickups intentionally microphonic. Um I do I I just that's how the old ones are and that's what I really like. But it's more of it's the nature of how those are made. They're really different from the um the S-style pickups. The T-style pickups have a base plate and it has a lot to do with that, where the S-style pickups do not. So no, the S-style pickups are not slightly microphonic. And would it be wrong to put a T pickup in an in a S-style? Well, I'm really trying hard not to say Tele and Strat in a Strat-style guitar. Uh, it wouldn't be morally wrong, but a Tele pickup doesn't really fit in a Strat, you'd so you route would have it out. to you'd have to route it out. It's bigger. So you'd have to route out the body, and the hole in the pit guard would need to be enlarged. And instead of two mounting screws, there th- there are three mounting screws, and they're in a different place. So, yeah. So basically everything about it is different, and so you'd really have to modify your strat to put a tele pickup in there. Which, it could be done. But another part of what makes a tele sound the way it does is that... uh. In a telly, the bridge pickup is mounted to metal. And so in a Strat, which is also the bridge, right? It's mounted to the bridge. Sure, yeah. In a Strat, it's mounted to this piece of plastic called a pit guard. So, you know, I don't know. Would it sound the same? Eh, maybe. But I don't know. It would look pretty funny, in my opinion. Cool. Yeah.
2: Thank you, anonymous question sender. Hi, Eric and Melissa. I love the show, and I am excited for your life transformation. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, This isn't so much a technical question as a psychological one. I have a pretty standard electric guitar assortment, a Strat style, a Tele style, a semi-hollow humbucker style, and a boutique Tele with Lawler gold foils and a Bigsby. Generally, I play one guitar for extended periods, and I get a weird infatuation with it to the point where when I'm in a strap period, I can't bring myself to play my tally and think, oh, how could anyone put up with that weak neck pickup and number two, oh, and no two or four positions? I'll never play another guitar. Or when I'm in a humbucker period, I'll think, how did I ever put up with those thin, wimpy single coil sounds? If I'm in the grips in the grip of a gold foils, i I'll think this guitar is just the ultimate, and every dimension was specified by me, and it's just so perfect. Why would I even look at those other toy guitars? I guess this isn't a problem per se, but I just think it's weird. Do other guitarists do this? Do we all carry on a weird serial monogamy with our guitars that inspires guilt and obsession? Are there real players out there who just pick the right tool for the job and seamlessly move from one guitar to another without going through neuroses like I do? Just curious. David
1: Parker. David, I sympathize.
2: David, I think you need to see someone. Yeah,
1: you need to seek professional help, (laughs) sir. No, I totally sympathize because, um, you know, for the longest time, I was a Strat guy. I mean, we were going back to the 90s.
2: Before, way before I knew him.
1: Before the... uh, internet before yeah before the uh, wheel
2: was invented
1: and uh i just thought man tellies are for country players you know i really thought yeah i really thought that but um when i the first time i played a telly that i really connected with i thought oh oh well this is this is exactly what i want and I sold all my strats and just started doing tellies. And I didn't even have a strat for years and years. I've never been a humbucker guy. I've never been a fanatic of of Gibson electric guitars. I do absolutely appreciate them and, and love them and love to work on them. But as far as my personal playing preferences go and my tone preferences go, I do uh, steer more towards... Telecaster style guitars. So, no, I know what you mean. You, from time to time, you change, you go back and forth. And then sometimes I'll go through a Dan Electro period where I'm like, this is just it, man. This is, this is, this is it.
2: I feel like with any hobby, that's pretty standard.
1: Yeah. Like, there are guys who play one guitar for decades, though. I mean, I've seen that. I've seen it firsthand. And there's also guys... Man, you know, there's a guy named Henry Cooper. I think I've talked about him on the podcast before. He lives in Oregon now, but he's he's a blues player in the Northwest. And for years, he was a telly guy. And he had this guitar, this 1964 Telecaster. And I'd go see him play, and he had this tone that nobody had. I mean, he had the, he could make this guitar make a sound that you had never heard before. I mean, you know, it sounded like a guitar, but it was—you heard just a millisecond of it, and you go, "Oh my God, that's Henry Cooper's tone." Well, wow. that's, that's Henry Cooper, wow. and I thought it was this magic guitar. Well, little did I know, he sold that guitar and just started playing different weird, random guitars like Guilds and <laughs> just, just you know, whatever he picked up, Squires at pawn shops, and pl- sounded exactly the same. Wow. Yeah. He can plug any guitar into any amp, fiddle with the knobs, and he sounds like Henry Cooper every time. I play it, and it sounds like a jazz master through a through a Roland Jazz Chorus. He plays it, and it's like this voice of God comes out of it. So it just depends on who you are and what you're, you know, what you can do with a guitar. But yeah, no, I sympathize with you because I go through that too. But I always come back. I always come back to a telly. Just something about a telly with a maple neck I can just make it do what I want
2: Yeah Cool
1: Shall we take a break? Sure Take a quick break, we'll be right back
2: Hey everyone, it's Melissa As many of you may know, I make tooled leather guitar straps Each strap is cut, carved Stamped, dyed, and finished by hand My straps are made to last a lifetime Visit melcoleather.com To check out my designs Or contact me with your custom order Contact me through my Etsy site or melcoleather at gmail.com. Podcast listeners will receive 15% off their order on Etsy when they use code FRETFILES at checkout. melcoleather.com. M-E-L-C-O-LEATHER.com.
3: Hey, this is Darren Jones from Jones & Fisher. Hello, this is Scott Marshall Watson calling. Just wanted to let everyone know how much I love my pinup guitar. Eric Dawes, Pinup Custom Guitars. Can't say enough good things about them. PinupCustomGuitars.com It's the closest thing that I've personally found to being anything like a a real vintage 50s Telecaster-style guitar.
0: My name is Jay Boone. I am an owner of two Pinup Guitars. Eric makes guitars that remind me of the the real vintage-style guitars, and that's what appeals to me. PinupCustomGuitars.com it makes me personally a better player. A very vintage sounding
3: instrument, very light and resonant.
0: And I use it all the time, I play with it regularly. Uh, I love the feel of the neck, it's a fat fifty style neck. This is Joshua Joel here. This
3: guitar makes all other guitars that I've owned personally feel like toys in comparison. I love the guitar, it's my uh, my main rig when I'm out on the road. I I ended up buying two of them and I, I use them both on a regular basis i tell you what, if I
0: have the money, I'd own 10 of them.
3: Thank you, Eric. I appreciate the eagle eye for quality and, and uh, attention to detail. I'm a big fan.
0: Way to go, Eric. Great job, Eric. I really
3: appreciate it. Check one out for yourself. PinupCustomGuitars.com. That's
1: PinupCustomGuitars.com.
0: Hi, podcast fans. Jay Boone from Emerald City Guitars here. We've been down here in Pioneer Square in downtown Seattle for 20 years, and a lot of things have changed. One thing hasn't changed, though, we still have a great selection of used and vintage guitars and amps. Now, that's not all we do now here. We also have a great service department, a great staff that's very knowledgeable, and tons of accessories and effects and just about everything you need if you're a guitar player. So we're celebrating our 20th anniversary this year, and we're doing all kinds of wonderful things, including giving folks great service, great deals, and shipping around the world. Visit our website at emeraldcityguitars.com and you can see our entire selection of guitars and amps that we have on our floor at any time. We want to thank you guys for all the great years that you've shopped at our store, and that goes for all the folks not only in the Northwest but around the country and around the world. Emerald City Guitars, your best source for vintage guitars and amps.
2: Eric and Melissa, question for the show. I do a lot of guitar setups for myself and my friends, but occasionally I get a bass. I have no bass setup mojo. I guess you're SOL. There's nothing we can do
1: for you. Hey, I'll answer the question. Oh, okay, I'm sorry.
2: Uh, can you please give me some tips or spec differences for electric bass setup versus electric guitar setup? I like my guitar neck's flat, but does a bass need relief for the elliptical motion of the strings? What can you tell us? Also, the G and L plays like a dream, and the Mustang pickup sounds great. Oh,
1: I just refretted a G and L for this guy. Oh, okay. Awesome. And made and I made a Mustang pickup for him. Yeah, cool. That's why he said that. Oh, I see.
2: Thanks for everything, miss you and your family here in Seattle, Zach.
1: Oh, that's Zach, our buddy Zach. Oh yeah uh you know you just have to think of it as a big guitar the bass a big guitar with four big strings daddy guitar is that what you think of it as? That's the, a daddy guitar the daddy yes. guitar oh, that's great um you play the mommy guitar jeez
2: the ukulele is the baby
1: okay so uh with a bass it's got it's got um a longer neck and sometimes a lot of times really uh it's hard to get those straight. Um, a little bit of relief is fine. I I like to try to start out with as straight of a neck as possible, just like I do with the guitar, to set them up. I like to start out with as straight as I can get the neck when it's strung up to pitch. Um, and then go from there. If it needs a little bit of relief, add it. Uh, but it just depends on the particular instrument. If you can get them to play with a flat neck, go for it. The one thing about basses is... You typically want a little more clearance, so you'll have the action a little bit higher than you would with a guitar. Uh, I typically set a bass action at about two millimeters high off of the uh, off of the twelfth fret. Most most techs use inches, but I'm kind of a millimeter guy when it comes to setups. So you'll want to set the strings about two millimeters off of the 12th fret. That's how I set them up. Maybe a little bit of relief. You know, there's really no secret trick to setting up a bass. It really is just a big guitar. It's the same intonation rules apply. The same, uh, everything applies. So, yeah, that's that's all I would tell you is neck as straight as you can get it. And uh, if it needs relief, then go ahead and add it. And you'll know, because if it's you know, when you play it at the like the first, second, third frets, and it's rattly, that's why. That's when you know. Okay, add a little bit of relief to the neck. Cool. Yeah, and uh, action a little bit higher than what you would set an electric guitar.
2: All right. Well, thanks, Zach. Uh, I'm using K and K pickups in my Gibson J forty five. It sounds great, but at high volumes, it feeds back. Any tips on things that I can do to tame the beast? Thanks, Jim.
1: I like those pickups, the K&K pickup. They make a great acoustic guitar pickup. I'd like to get them on the show. I want to interview somebody from K&K. Good idea. Uh, They're great pickups because they're passive. You know, I've just about given up on under-saddle pickups.
2: Oh, this is an acoustic pickup?
1: Yeah. Those under saddle pickups are such a pain, man. They, it, and I really feel like it's detrimental to your tone to have a pickup sitting in between. You know the guitar and the saddle. Anyway, the K and K attaches to the bridge plate. It's got three little piezo elements that are basically super glued, ca glued.
2: Yeah, you've you've talked about
1: this to before, the uh, I to think. the bridge plate. Sure. Um, yeah, so it's feeding back. Well, there's a few things that come to mind. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is to use a, what they call a feedback buster. I'm sure you've seen them. It's a little plug that fits in the sound hole. It'll kill your acoustic tone, but it will enable you to plug in to a PA or an amp and play at a pretty loud volume without feedback. It's just a little, like, rubber plug, a little rubber hockey puck plug thing that fits in the sound hole.
2: It covers the whole sound hole? It
1: covers the whole sound hole so that there's, so that it doesn't feedback. Wow. Yeah. I'm sure you've heard of those, and it's, you know, a lot of guys hate them. Some guys swear by them. Uh, the other thing you could try, I just tried this, I just did this on a resonator that I installed a pickup in. You can put a pad on the jack. You can you can actually add a resistor to the jack across the positive and negative lugs and you can experiment with what uh what what resistor to put in there. I think I ended up using a 15k ohm resistor just to just just it's called a pad or it just it just attenuates the signal a little bit and dials back the gain. Huh. Yeah, keeps it from feeding back. You'll still get a nice, good, strong signal. But what you could do is you could take the jack out of the guitar. I don't know if you're handy with a soldering iron, or or if 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 you have a buddy that is, or if you if you have a tech that you trust. But um, experiment with different, a few different resistors. Everywhere from a five k resistor up to a, I don't know, a, five hundred k resistor, five hundred k ohms
2: right
1: and uh see what see what you come up with there um putting it across the the positive and negative terminals huh yeah you'll hear a difference it it'll it just attenuates the signal i don't know i've done it on different piezo elements and uh i i don't know what the knk K, um i don't know what what uh I don't know what kind of resistor would work best for the K and K. That's why I say you you might want to experiment with it. But my guess my guess would be about a 10K or a 15K or a 20K ohm resistor across the positive and negative terminals. But that's that's you know you're you're probably going to avoid your warranty and uh, you know all that kind of jazz. So only do that if you if you really know what you're doing with a soldering iron.
2: Okay. Thanks, Jim. Hi guys, the show is great. Thank you so much for doing it. On a recent episode, someone sent in a question about cleaning a, to- a guitar, and putting lemon oil on a rosewood fingerboard came up. What would you think? What would you think about using mineral oil, like that you would use on a cutting board? I've used it on some of my guitars a few times, and it seems to work fine. I wonder if this would do any long term damage to the fretboard. The exact product I've used is Howard BBB. Oh, one, two, cutting board oil. Thank you, Chris from Nebraska.
1: Hi, Chris. Thanks. Yeah, uh, I tell you, from what I understand, lemon oil, when you buy lemon oil, it's basically mineral oil with a little bit of lemon in it, and it's probably synthetic lemon, unless you're buying really fancy lemon oil, which might have actual lemon essential oil in it. But the lemon, I think the lemon is just for fragrance and for uh, it's kind of, it has, it's like a natural cleaner. So the lemon is probably added to help clean the gunk off your fingerboard. And the mineral oil is actually to, to um, condition the wood. So go for it. Mineral oil is fine. Min- lemon oil, mineral oil, they're, they're pretty close to the same thing. So either one is going to work great.
2: Awesome. Thanks. Hi Eric and Melissa. Love the show, especially now that it is set up to be broad- broadcast weekly. Here's a couple of questions. I am saving up to purchase a Pinup custom guitar, In perusing the website, I noticed a couple of things that I wondered about. Under the T-style guitars, there are multiple options for a body, a body wood, alder or ash. After the ash option in parentheses, it reads recommended. In other words, Eric recommends Ash over the Alder. I always thought Alder versus Ash debate was chasing after Tone Dragons. Could I have been wrong? What does Eric think? Hmm. Also was hoping Eric could comment on tonal differences between underwound and standard wound pickups in his pickups. I think that I want standard wound in classic Ash body maple neck fingerboard combination configuration, but wondered what the effect of the underwound pickups might have on that construction. I'm sure that Eric would help me sort the differences once I am ready to pull the trigger on a guitar, but I thought I would ask in advance. Thank you both, Randy.
1: Thanks, Randy. The reason I recommend Ash on the guitars that I make is that it's more kind of period correct for the guitars that I'm trying to recreate. Um, that's all, you know, they didn't start using alder on those until a little later. And the other reason is that it's easier to get, you know, ash varies a lot more in weight. So I'm really picky about trying to get really lightweight ash, and that's what I do. And so I'm able to make a lighter guitar, uh, out of ash, and I really like the grain better. So a lot of the guitars I make are blonde or butterscotch, which are, just kind of a semi-transparent finish, and you can see the grain through it. So, I I really like ash for those reasons. It's period correct. You can see the grain, and I can get lighter uh, bodies, which I really like. That when they're really light, that's what I like.
2: But as for tone, there's really no eh, difference.
1: I mean, again, I you know I've gone over this on the podcast. If if I played two identical guitars blindfolded one was ash one was alder i wouldn't be able to tell you which one was which there's no way I, it's it's not something that i'm going to hear you know huh. i don't listen to a record and go well that guy's got an alder guitar
2: right yeah
1: so yeah um alder has a very almost it it's almost grainless it it almost doesn't have a pattern at all it's a very bland guitar almost like almost like white pine without knots in it. You know, it's like, like a clear pine almost. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's a little darker than that, a little different color, and it's not, it's a much harder wood than pine, but I'm just talking about the grain. It, it hardly has any grain to it. You, you do sometimes see a piece of alder that has a, a decent little grain to it, but nothing like ash. Ash is just a beautiful has a beautiful grain to it, huh. yeah, I like it a lot better. He also asks what's the difference d- difference between underwound and standard wound pickups um, so underwound uh meaning that there's less turns of wire on the coil will have a kind of a sweeter sound, not as much output of course, and a little um a little more bell-like, chimey. Uh, as you put more winds around the coil, you get more mid-range, you get more bass, you get uh, a punchier tone, and as you move into an overwound pickup, you get like um, a lot a lot of, you get like mid-range growl to it. So that just, you know, kind of runs the gamut between underwound standard wind and overwound pickups. It just is a, it's just kind of a way to EQ the guitar to to the tones that you like. Um, the early, early Fender Stratocasters, for example, had pretty low wind pickups, and then as they moved on into the 60s, they wound them a little hotter, if that gives you any idea. Um, and I I prefer... I probably prefer standard wound. Underwound is nice, but sometimes they can be just a, just a tad wimpy. It just depends on... The style of music and your style of playing and what kind of amp you're using, but that's my preference.
2: All right. Thanks, Randy. In episode 37, there was a question about affordable jazz guitars. You mentioned the lore, but I was curious about your thoughts on Ibanez. I think it's their artcore series that's largely jazz guitars. Thanks for the great podcast. I am learning a ton.
1: Yeah. Ibanez, I've certainly seen my share of Ibanez guitars. I don't know if you know this, but I worked at the Ibanez distributor uh, warehouse in the 90s. So, I that was my job was to set up Ibanez guitars all day in the 90s. And we set them up to be shipped out to dealers. So, I've seen probably thousands of of Ibanez guitars. Wow. Yeah um they didn't come to mind i don't know maybe it's maybe it's just because of my history with ibanez but it's just it's it's just not something that would come up in my mind to recommend off the top of my head i'm sure they're very nice i'm sure they're nice here's my co- you want to hear my complaint about a lot of ibanez yes. guitars yes every guitar manufacturer kind of has their this is just my opinion okay this is just my opinion but every every guitar manufacturer kind of has their Achilles heel.
2: Okay.
1: Ibanez does a scarf joint. Their their neck is is two pieces of wood. So the headstock is a separate piece of wood than the neck. <coughs> and the joint is this angled, you know, joint. It's a, called a scarf right. joint and it happens kind of under the second fret. The wood, the neck tends to bow there and you you end up with this weird hump right around the second or third fret i've seen it's obviously yeah it's obviously not every ibanez and it's probably very very rare but i've seen it enough that i know that it's a quirk of that kind of guitar construction that they do a scarf joint there and you end up with a bit of a bow so like the neck will be straight from the third fret up to the end of the neck and from the nut to the third fret, there's just this very slight hump. I've seen that a, not a bunch of times, not a not a million times, but I've seen it enough as a quirk on on their guitars that it's just something that I'm. I always think about in the back of my mind to to look for when I look at an ibanez. That's just my opinion. I'm maybe they've worked it out. I haven't, you know, I'm like, you know, I mean I I worked there in the 90s, so what can I say? I'm sure they're I'm sure they're fine guitars. The other, you know, the other you mentioned the Lore and that whole um that episode where somebody was asking for my recommendation, uh the the other brand uh that that came to my mind later. Oh, now I can't remember the name.
2: Uh-oh. That's not good.
1: Oh, Eastman guitars. Uh, they're nice. They're I think they're a little more than lower guitars. I think they run generally around a grand, but um, those are nice. I think they're Chinese Eastman guitars. That's the other brand that I thought of later, but.
2: Cool. Yeah. Hi, Eric. Two questions. One, is it possible to split the coils on a stacked humbucker? For example, the noiseless or split blade pickup types that are po- popular now. In the same way, you would split a traditional humbucker. I've done this before using a push-pull volume pot to switch between dual and single modes, but, question number two, would it be possible to wire the split to a tone pot so that one direction is full humbucker and the the other direction is full single coil and then the middle range is degrees of blending the two together? If you have time, I would love to hear what you would know. You know about the difference between coil tapping and coil splitting. I think I've been getting these two mixed up for years. Thanks, Charlie.
1: Right on, Charlie. I tell you it is absolutely possible to split the coils on a stacked humbucker if it has four conductor wiring coming from the coming from the pickup uh, and if it doesn't, if it only has two conductor wire, then you can get in there and hot rod it and add a, a tap wire, but that's not for the faint of heart. That's only for the the seasoned pro with a a touch for the soldering iron. Yeah, so it is absolutely possible. Uh, if you're going to split the coils, I would, when you when you cut one of the coils, I would cut the coil that's farthest away from the strings and keep the coil that's close to the strings as the one that's on. Is it possible to wire it to a pot so that one direction is humbucker and one direction is single coil? Yeah, uh I'm sure that it is. um let's see how would you do that? I'll have to look up a schematic yeah i've done i I've done that before. I know that I've done that before. I can't think of how what that would look like on a schematic off the top of my head, but that's it's it is absolutely possible. And he would like to know the difference between coil tapping and coil splitting. Well, uh, people use those terms interchangeably. Coil tapping, technically, coil tapping is you wind a pickup and then you stop and add a contact and then you keep winding it a little bit more and then finish so that you can Tap and only use half of the coil, so coil tapping. Okay, but people people use that term for coil splitting, which is taking a humbucker and turning off one of the coils. So people use those interchangeably. It's okay to do that. It's just kind of a nobody's going to get nobody's going to be a nobody's going to be a. uh,
2: Grammar a coil, Nazi?
1: a coil tapping Nazi about <laughs> about whether or not you're using the right phrase. Well, somebody might, but yeah, coil tapping, coil splitting. People generally they're talking about turning off one of the coils in a humbucker. But you're right, technically, coil tapping is a uh, a wire that goes basically to the middle of the coil, somewhere between the start and the finish, so that you can get. It's basically so you can you can have one single-coil pickup with two different outputs.
2: Interesting. Un-
1: underwound and then more windings. And I've experimented with that a little bit. It is cool. It's really cool on an Esquire because there's not a whole lot of... Uh, an Esquire is a Telecaster-style guitar with just one pickup.
2: Yeah, I, I know that much. I've That's seen, cool. I've seen that before.
1: So if you've got a tappable single-coil... Bridge pickup on there, that's kind of fun because it gives you a, a whiter tone palette. Thanks, Charlie.
2: Hi, Eric and Melissa. I know that you will roll your eyes at this question, but I am asking anyway. I have been pondering building a telly with less Paul geometry, shorter scale, and a tunematic. Why? Well, life is short and there is no time like the present for doing something stupid. Also, if it falls over, the headstock won't break off.
1: That's a good point.
2: And you won't have to reach underneath to tune the G, B, and E strings. I'm guessing this disgusts you, but say someone forced you to do it. Jeez. (laughs) What challenges would you see? Part of the problem is I don't totally understand Les Paul geometry. Is the neck set at an angle to the body? I have been thinking about either routing the neck pocket at an angle or else making a tapered shim in the neck. The latter solution would allow me to change my mind and put a regular tele-neck on it. The former would mean more badness. While I'm at it, what kind of humbucker do you like for a tele-neck pickup for a standard Telecaster? Do you prefer a PAF or some version of the Fender-wide-ranging humbucker? Thanks for the great show. Paul
1: Paul there's no accounting for taste is there <laughs> And I tell you uh, you know part of the reason why this is a this is a this this is going to be a problem for you a Les Paul has an arched top that's why the geometry is so different Aww. A Telecaster is a plank it's just a flat top so yes the neck on a on a Les Paul is is kicked back a little bit more at a steeper angle um, and then that's compensated for by having a mound in the middle of the guitar where the bridge sits it's an arched top so unless you're going to have a telly body with an arched top I don't know how you're going to do a, a telly with it with less Paul geometry honestly ouch yeah um, but do it prove me wrong do it and send pictures or it didn't happen uh while he's at it he wants to know what kind of humbucker I like for a telly. I don't know. I I'm just not a you're asking the wrong guy. Honestly, I'm just not a I'm not a humbucker guy. I do like the wide range humbucker. It's cool. It's giant. <laughs> it's it's a big giant humbucker. Those are cool. Um Yeah, I don't know. PAFs are cool. It's just not what floats my boat. But you know, it sounds like You might build a really cool guitar here. You should try it. You should just go for it and figure it out and.
2: And then send pictures.
1: Exactly. And a sound clip, too. There you go.
2: Hi, Eric and Melissa. Thanks for the great show. Perhaps you've covered this before, but what is your opinion about graphite in the nut slots? Does this actually make a difference? I always do put a little pencil lead in there when I change strings. The next time I see that some is left, so I guess it's doing something. Do you have any experience, though, that shows it to work better than doing nothing?
1: Absolutely. In fact, it's essential.
2: When I imitate Eric repairing guitars, I always say you got to put the graphite in the nut slots. Put that pencil lead in there.
1: I've probably told more people that than anything. It's, it's essential. That's an essential part of a setup for me is to put some graphite in the nut slots. It does a few things. It'll keep you from breaking strings. It'll keep you in, in tune better. You know, that nut is is a point of friction and that the string needs to be able to glide smoothly through the nut. So absolutely, it's essential. Essential.
2: So it's like a lubrication. Yeah, it's thing. like
1: putting oil in your car. You gotta do it.
2: Okay. Uh, what do you do for nut slots that are worn down? Do you rebuild them back up? Crazy glue and bone dust.
1: I don't like to do that. I, you can. It depends on the guitar. But that's kind of a. I don't know. It's not really my favorite thing to do. If 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 the guitar warrants it, I I would put a new nut on it. But sometimes you're working with a. V- a vintage guitar where you really don't want... You don't want to put a new nut on it. You want to keep the original parts. Right. You can come up with creative ways to to build up the slots, but yeah.
2: Okay. While I'm at it, how realistic is it for someone to teach themselves setup and basic repair and set up a small home shop in a big city? There is basically one guy in this town, and while he has a good reputation, he never turns stuff around very quickly or reliably. A drop-it-off-on-Thursday-and-I'll-have-it-to-you-on-Tuesday it, drop it job can sometimes go to four weeks without much, much explanation or apology. I think
1: I know who he's talking about. Is this guy from Seattle? No. Oh. Anyway, go ahead.
2: Uh, it can be very frustrating. I have quite a bit of woodworking and handwork experience, and I'm wondering about having a small shop that would focus on setups and maintenance of work-a-day instruments, staying away from the expensive stuff. Is it realistic to focus on setups and electronics for now and teach myself how to do that well and work doing mostly setups?
1: I think it sounds like a great plan.
2: Thanks, Anonymous.
1: I think that that sounds like a great plan, and there's really great books about it. One is the Guitar Player Repair Guide by Dan Erlewine. There's several editions. Um, I think the latest editions even come with like some kind of a CD or DVD or something. I have an older version. That's older. It's probably 20 years old. Uh, that's a great book that goes, it, it really goes through a lot of setup information for all different kinds of guitars, so yeah, absolutely do it. I think, in fact, I think that it makes you a better guitar player to be able to set up your guitar because you understand your guitar that much better. Right. So absolutely do it. And thanks for submitting a question.
2: Hey, guys. As always, loving the show. Glad to see the new website up. It looks really great.
1: Thanks. It does, doesn't it?
2: (laughs) My question is about tuners. I have a 90s Fender Japan-made Telecaster that has old-style tuners where the string goes down through the middle of the post vertically.
1: Those are called safety post tuners, by the way.
2: Oh, okay. Changing strings with these style tuners can be a bit of a pain since you have to cut the string to a specific length, especially on a gig when time is short. I was thinking of putting on locking tuners and wondering what your recommendation would be if I went that route. Thanks again. Hoping you and your family are enjoying the new location. Kurt from Seattle.
1: Thanks, Kurt. Um, That's a tough one because I'm not a giant. I'm really not a giant fan of locking tuners. I think that if you string your guitar properly, it's it's just kind of uh, uh, unnecessary. Anyway, I like safety post tuners. I would keep those on there. But if you really want to go with some locking tuners, they make uh, they make locking tuners that look like Cluson safety post tuners, except that it has instead of the the slot in the top being where you put the string, the slot in the top is like a flathead uh has has access for a flathead deal that you can you can tighten the string down that way with a with a coin or a or something you know a flathead screwdriver or something anyway they make locking tuners that look like safety post tuners and you can go that route um man i I love I love safety post tuners, though. I love that. You can stick the string down in the hole, and there's no... um, Yeah, you have to cut it before you put it on, but it's no different than cutting it after you put it on with other tuners.
2: How about you give a tip on how to do that quickly and and efficiently, then? How how do you measure that length to, to clip it?
1: Yeah, I go three tuner spaces past the tuner that I'm putting the string on.
2: So, like... So pull
1: the string tight, Okay. go three inches or three tuner spaces past.
2: So like the circumference of the tuners? Is that what, what what do you mean by tuner space?
1: Yeah, so you pull the string tight, you're going to do the low E string. Okay. You pull the string tight. Here's the low E tuner, here's the A tuner. Oh, I see. Here's the D tuner, here's the G tuner, that's where you cut it. Three tuners past the tuner that you're putting the string on. Interesting. Yeah and that that'll give you two or three winds on your on your tuner which is what you want. You know what I used to do um, in a pinch if you hold the string with your thumbs together where you want it to cut it'll only take about 15 seconds of bending it back and forth real quickly.
2: Oh, and it'll, it'll break. break. Yeah. Wow.
1: I used to do that on gigs when I didn't have a, when a wire cutter. Like, oh, give me just a second. Well. Anyway, so if you have hands of steel like I do, and you can do that. No, I don't know. I'm sick. Anyway, that's all the questions we've got for this edition of the Fret Files podcast. Thanks so much for being part of the show, and thanks for listening. And uh, we'll see you in one week.
2: Woohoo! I know, right? Love
1: it. Take care.